Welcome to Relevant Parties by Carhartt Work in Progress. I'm Charles Ravens, and in this series, I'm going behind the scenes at some of the world's best independent record labels to meet the visionaries and the obsessives who've made musical history. In each episode, we sit down with one of these label founders to find out what makes them tick. We hear the tall tales and big ideas behind some of the most influential records and scenes of the past 30 years, and maybe try to work out just what possessed them to take on one of the most challenging jobs in the music industry. So far on Relevant Parties, we've met some of the biggest fish in the small pond of independent record labels. But I'm especially excited to talk to Marvin and Valentino from Public Possession, because this label feels to me like a quintessential indie record label of the 21st century. Public Possession was founded in 2013 in Munich, the city where Marvin and Valentino were both born and raised. And all the action is centred around the Public Possession record store and the local clubs where they've had DJ residencies and more recently Munich's Radio ATK radio station too. They design their own flyers, they have a really nice line of merchandise, sometimes they've even been known to run a catering service, but everything is built on a small and kind of friendly scale. And somehow the music actually reflects all this too. The artists on the roster have created this kind of compact community of friends and pen pals around the world, and they've ended up finding what seems like a common sound. They don't all sound the same, but there's this shared, kind of quirky, laid back, really good humoured take on dance music. You've got Fuzzy House Jams by Andras, New Wave Pop by Mosaica, and Dreamy Madonna covers by uh, one guy who's a personal favourite for mine, Bell Towers. And this summer, Public Possession released Chill Pill 2, a compilation which they say was designed to do nothing less than improve your physical, mental and spiritual well-being. Which is a pretty bold claim, certainly. Uh, But it's these kind of inbuilt values and the way that that's actually expressed in the music and how the label operates that makes Public Possession a really solid example of what a great independent record label can be these days. Especially now that physical records and even live performances are increasingly either less relevant or you know, not even possible right now. So I wanted to ask them about the roots of this small and idiosyncratic label, but also to find out their thoughts and fears for the future, with dance music in disarray and big questions hanging over the future of the scene. Hello, Marvin and Valentino. Hi, thanks for having us. So coronavirus, of course, is still keeping us apart, sadly, but uh, you two are in the same room together. Uh, which is kind of a new experience seeing people on screen together. Um, Tell us where you are today. In our studio in Munich. And what's your studio like? Could you describe it a bit? It's close to the River Isar. We're kind of in the centre of Munich. Yeah, it's actually in a in a backyard of a living like it's a living area, and there's like this kind of backyard where um, a, an industrial designer has a huge studio, and he kind of sublets a, a few smaller spaces um, to mainly um, creative people. So um, uh, there's like an architect and a few photographers. Uh, it's it's actually a pretty nice uh, community. And are you allowed to make noise in there? Well, yeah, we. We can, it can get noisy. 
But um, obviously, we try to be um, thoughtful and respect our neighbours. Oh, that's very kind of you. Uh, so some of the other independent labels we've got on relevant parties are pretty big in some ways. Um, some of them have a lot of employees, really big distribution networks. Some of them have sub-labels. Some of them have had crossover records that have shifted a lot of units, made it into the charts. But public possession isn't really that kind of label. You definitely have really big ambitions, but it seems to me that those ambitions are being enacted on a more compact scale, a more kind of homegrown scale. Is that how you always intended the label to be? Yes. I mean, when we started, we didn't have any business plan for what's going to happen, but it was always clear that we want to have a channel for all our interests and um, that most of the stuff is happening at the same time. I think um, uh, perhaps what makes us, or I don't know if it makes us different from other labels, um, but it's, it's, it's just our personal approach is that we uh, kind of never really thought of public possession just as a record label. Obviously, we have to shop since day one, um, which um, gives us sort of like a physical base where um, we can uh, meet uh, potential interested people. And we, like for the first five years, we only operated um, from there. So we didn't even have a, a studio or an office space. We did like all the work from the shop. So it was kind of like in between interacting with the customers, we kind of uh, set up the next releases and stuff like that. By now, it kind of grew a bit um, uh, like the label grew bigger and it's more of um, like, uh, I'd say, logistic uh, work and emails and stuff. So uh, eventually we had to kind of uh, re reconsider our approach and we moved into the studio studio and now have um, uh, um, very great people helping us at the shop so uh, that everything uh, um, still kind of functions and to come back to what Valentino said um, I think it's important for us that public possession is not just a record label it's also uh, um, a place where we can uh, conduct various other endeavors that might just be um, uh, on our minds and that can that can obviously be a lot of things like we did books and we do a bit of merchandise by now that's kind of like a part of public possession that's growing since uh, one or two years i mean we try we try to to kind of um, be pretty open um, when it comes to what we can do with public possession it's interesting to think that the physical space arrived at the same time as the record label. Uh, I think it's quite important for subcultures or for music communities to actually have a physical space. That seems to be a way of ensuring that a scene can sustain itself over time. I was listening to another podcast recently, the New Models podcast, and uh, Matt Dryhurst was talking about this idea, this this idea that if you own the building, you can control the space and control the future of your own musical community in a sense. Um, so I guess that is what the shop does for you in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, um, unfortunately, we don't own the building where the shop is. That would be uh, um, some um, weight lifted from our shoulders. But uh, still, yeah, I, I, it was not really intentionally. I mean, we kind of like uh, really 
threw ourselves into cold or hot water. I don't know how do you say uh, when we when we started all this. But it's pretty soon became apparent that um, that the shop is opening um, a lot of doors for us because we met so many interesting people within the scene here in Munich that we didn't have access to before. And obviously, it gave us the the chance to invite DJs and artists from around the globe that were in Munich for playing gigs at clubs. So we had these in-store sessions um, that uh, right now don't take place, obviously, um, but that have been taking place over the course of the last seven years, uh, almost weekly, um, where we kind of just um, give the space to somebody to play music uh, at the shop and um, people can come and listen and talk to each other and And that's been an integral part of public possession and still is, hopefully will be again soon once the corona problems um, um, kind of hopefully just vanish. So yeah, it's been very, very important for us to have this physical space. And also I think we didn't really... Um, We underestimated it uh, at the beginning that how important it is for other people um, when they um, perceive the record label that they have a physical space that they can kind of connect um, to it. So it, I think it gave us as a label um, maybe an advantage over other record labels that do an equally great job with uh, selecting music <laughs> and um, putting out records, um, but who, who don't have this kind of physical space to to go along with. Tell me a bit about being in Munich as well. So um, I'm afraid I haven't been to Munich, but what I do know about it is it's, uh, I believe, the third biggest city in Germany, right? <laughs> You're shaking your heads as that you don't actually know. I'm not 100% sure, I, but I, I, I just believe you are correct. <laughs> I looked it up in advance and apparently it goes Berlin, Hamburg, Munich. Yeah, it's, quite, it's quite possible. Okay. But it's not a massive city. And obviously, from a kind of nightlife perspective or music perspective, it's it's certainly not a particularly famous music city. Um, and it's not famous for nightlife in the way that Berlin is. But there are loads of great labels, great artists from Munich. So I wonder, could you tell me a bit about what, what the city is like as a music city? And I guess if you feel like there are any benefits to being in a slightly smaller, more compact city. Well, we... We grew up here and we, we were born here. So now we have our families here. And for us, it never really was a question where we want to do our stuff. It's For us, it's more the question who you do the stuff with and not where you do the stuff. But especially for Munich, it's um, you have to be rather focused maybe on what you do and because Munich is very expensive. So it doesn't necessarily give you a lot of room for experiments. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people doing amazing creative and whatsoever work here. So we have a, a constant exchange with um, interesting people around us. But you're right, it's not uh, when you speak of uh, Berlin and nightlife, we don't have a similar party tourism like Berlin or London. Or But still, here are a lot of uh, great clubs too. We have, I think we have maybe the highest uh, rate of clubs in Germany. But I, I mean, let's say 90% of them are not in our... They don't offer maybe the music we... <laughs> uh, I, I mean, very I, diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
Probably like in any other city, um, but for us, obviously, um, as we experienced it from, as Valentino said, we come from Munich, uh, from from the beginning on Munich, uh, it's like has a very good foundation for what we do. And it, it always uh, brought up great music labels like uh, Goma or International DJ Gigolo Records or um, Compost. Uh, Compost and Permanent Vacation. And I don't know, I mean, I could go on uh, until the 80s where like Moroder produced um, uh, uh, Donna Summer here. Munich and stuff like that so it's kind of it has like a it has like a, le a legacy to, to kind of follow follow up to and at least for us we were lucky in uh, at some some stages of um, of our um, developments like we, we had like pretty easy access to nightlife and to clubs um, like we, we got a residency as DJs very early on uh, where we played like once a week at, a, at like one of the at least in our opinion, nicest clubs back then. I mean, we had like a lot of open doors. We just had to go through uh, and a lot of people who kind of like uh, showed us the direction that that would be possible with, with doing something like a record label. For that, we are very um, appreciative. And I think currently the scene is probably better than ever uh, with, with like uh, a big club like Blitz who, who opened like two years ago that kind of like... Uh, probably for the first time in a while has introduced like a larger club to the city, which has been almost gone before. Um, uh, and then we have our residency at Charlie, which is like still like the ideal club because they really put focus on, on the local scene. Like they, they really try to create something from what's there rather than uh, constantly um, seeking for input from, from outside. Um, uh, which is, I think, a good approach when you want to um, like build a scene community uh, and a community. So, um, yeah, we've been really lucky to to have like a lot of people around us constantly that kind of uh, kept uh, pushing us into the right directions. When you first started DJing together, then, and you had a residency, what was the kind of music that you were bonding over? Did you have a taste that fit together really easily or was it a kind of challenging b2b situation where you're always having to work out where to go next so it's a uh, rather option to you <laughs> <laughs> we, um, when we started he was mostly into hip-hop and maybe reggae and yeah and i was more into maybe electronical house or even techno sometimes. So we try to merge those genres <laughs> without skills in the beginning. Which didn't sound very good, but it wasn't really, uh, it didn't really matter because it was like at a, like the first times we DJed was at a small bar, in like summer and Tuesdays. Tuesday. So it was like, no, we were our own audience. So that mm. was a good Having kind of a stuff. lot of cologne on being super nervous <laughs> it was a good starting point for um, uh, um, checking out where it should go but I, but I mean that said after maybe a year of experimenting we kind of found uh, a sound we could agree on which was disco back then but then again it and then, and, and then we, we kind of like uh, started, had that as, as a starting point. And then we kind of like constantly, our, our interests, interests shifted from one thing to the other. And um, so there were points also much later where I think they were quite far off each other. So uh, we had, we again, had the beginning again, we had again <laughs> problems to, 
to, to DJ together in frustrating uh, situations, but you kind of manage to to keep the bond. And um, it's, I think, one of the big plus to have somebody to DJ with or also to have somebody you run a label um, with um, that closely as we do it. Like, uh, I think there's like nothing that is not discussed before we, we do it, like between the two of us, which can be extremely exhausting, but it's also like a good kind of, uh, it puts stuff into perspective and you question things more and um, you get obviously input that you, you can't give to yourself. So it, it's even better now that we kind of our team grows and like there's times uh, where we are at the studio um, uh, where, where there's like five people uh, um, working here, um, obviously not full time, but um, uh, um, yeah, it's it's been it's been very good to to get fresh uh, heads uh, and ears and thoughts. Yeah, it's super um, important for us. Like, uh, yeah, we in that case or in that sense, I think we need input constantly. Like, it's uh, we, we we search for it ourselves, but uh, it's also nice to have it presented to you by someone else sometimes. And that's like that's what we always tried from the beginning on to do with each other. And now we have other people, or we always had other people who obviously helped us along the way. But there were times when we DJed together when you try to embarrass the the other one. And you play a really bad record and then you go to the toilet maybe. <laughs> he's up there alone and Yeah, it's a, I mean we, we, obviously there needs to be there need to be some challenges every now and then. Yeah, or you play a really hard to mix record and then you see how he does. <laughs> how he solves the problem. <laughs> And the first release on the label was also a, a collaboration of yours under the name Tambien. So I also wondered how you work together as, as musicians. Is there an obvious division of labour when you work on music together? How do you kind of how do you even agree on what direction you're going in? Because it sounds like you have many divergent ideas. I think, like I mean, first of all, Tambien is not just the two of us. It's like a third guy. It's Beni Brachtel. Uh, like he, when he produces electronic music, he goes under um, Bartolo and does music for ESP Institute, for example, uh, which is a great label from Los Angeles. And that's also where the second and the third Tambien record came out, or maybe the third and fourth. And even though he has like a background as a musician, so he, he kind of he, he knows how to play the violin and stuff like that, I wouldn't say we are like uh, musicians at all. And we are probably not um, even close to, it. close to being uh, what, what you would uh, call a producer. Producer. So we've been lucky to have Benny, who is like the exact opposite. Like he's a very um, well-studied uh, um, musician and uh, a production genius. So I think in the beginning, it was just uh, another way of playing around with ideas and um, another way of expressing what we what we wanted to express and was very open. And we started with doing edits that were actually only uh, for us playing at a club and then we we did like one uh, one record or like we did three edits that kind of were nice and we got good feedback so we we did like a small pressing on vinyl that was before public possession and it was r really well received um, uh, and from that point on i think the idea of maybe um, trying to do a label grew in our heads and uh, so I, I would say like maybe the production of music was more of a starting point than something that is still very relevant to what we do, because we know by now that there's other people who can produce music a lot better than we do. So we, 
try most of the times to to leave it to the artists we work with and only very rarely still make it to the to the studio i'd say yeah it's part of a part of the process we're in that we try to separate what's important and what's not and being a musician we realized that's maybe not something we would we should focus yeah i feel the same way as a music journalist which usually means a failed musician it's just fine to accept that there are other things that you do better and the musicians can just be great around you. <laughs> yeah. um, another one of the early releases um, that I really like, I, I really love the, the the first Tambien as well. I actually think it's very good. Um, but yeah. another one of the early ones is uh, Bell Towers. Um, and Bell Towers is an artist who you've had on the label um, many times now, several times. Um, tell me about Bell Towers. Who is who is Bell Towers, and why did you want to release their music? You should probably start because you were the one who met him first, and I met him in Australia in two thousand and ten or eleven, I think, when I was traveling. I was just traveling, and we had mutual friends. And then Andrew and Misha Hollenbach from Parks and Mini introduced him to me. And we were we are in contact since then. And then when we told him about our plans with the label, it was pretty clear that he's um, one of the the artists we want to approach first for music. And I think his release is the third or the second. I think the third. The third yeah, he he has his this third record that came out on public possessions by him. And I hadn't met him back then. He soon after came to Berlin and um, to play a party with us that really sucked. We all passed <laughs> it. was the first label party ever. Um, and it was like a complete disaster from beginning to the end. Why? Like, Several reasons. Well, I think it was mainly not our fault, I would say. <laughs> a, a miscommunication with the venue um, the, 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 the party um, was taking place at. Um, but anyways, we still enjoyed ourselves and uh, a friendship kind of grew pretty quickly out of it. And then he moved to London and now lives in Berlin. And, and I'd say like when we, when we like bringing us back to that, the thing that we need input, you can't do everything by yourself and not everything is going to be created out of yourself. He's definitely been like one of the key, not only the key artists in, in, in terms of like the quantity of releases we have put out, but also in terms of forming our tastes over the years and introducing us to people that are now as well, like uh, important artists on the label. Like I think Samo DJ, for example, who has like quite a few records out on our label. He was originally introduced to us through Bell Towers. A nice girl. Nice girl. <laughs> nice girl who just uh, this year released her first record and her second record is coming out now. And there's... Um, Tomorrow. There's like a lot of more, a lot more stuff um, to be coming soon. She was introduced um, through him, so it's been great uh, working with him. And he had his album out this year, which was like our first album on the label. Yeah, so it's a nice uh, collaboration with. He's a shareholder of the company. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> if they're, yeah. <laughs> There's a certain atmosphere to a record like like Light Rail that I think carries through throughout the label in different ways there's a kind of maybe a certain gentleness to it a kind of maybe cosmic flavor sometimes um sometimes a slightly trippy kind of vibe and i do think a lot of the records um really have a an element of humor as well um i don't know if any of that rings true for you but i was trying to describe the label to someone the other day and i found it 
quite difficult to pinpoint any particular genre. How, how do you kind of imagine it in, in those terms? I think um, everything you said is true, but uh, also not because I, I mean, it's, I, th I suppose it's very subjective kind of how you perceive music. But if we have to say like uh, if you or if we had to portray our uh, approach to running the label and how to, to select music, it's very often the case that we kind of tend to go maybe for the tracks that are a little bit more odd and especially the thing about humor that you said is very much on point because music or maybe art in general like takes itself too serious it's maybe not so interesting to us anymore it can still be very aesthetically appealing or deep or whatever um, you want to call it but uh, it's not maybe what we want to do with the with public possession and but we take our work very serious yeah i mean i'm not saying that we are not taking our work serious but i i'm i'm, I'm saying that when we kind of decide what to, to put out or what to do it's always important to us that you can at least if you want to do find uh, an angle of humor in it uh, because it's not just um maybe it's also maybe maybe put it differently, it's not just there to function. It's also there to kind of like leave room for other perspectives, for other perspectives or interpretations. And like more often than not, um, we get like music sent to that we really like and that we know um, would probably sell very good, but has something missing and we decide against it. So it's maybe that's not economically, not the, not the ideal approach to do uh, a business, but uh, so far it has served well to us. And the label that it reminds me most of, um, who I guess must have started around the same time as you, is Studio Barnhus from Sweden, because I feel that there is a similar character somehow and also often very difficult to describe the music other than being, yeah, a kind of, like you say, just an oddball flavour and, and, and humorous a lot of the time. Yeah, we are big fans of Studio Yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely uh, nice to be compared to them. And you've had Baba Stilts on the label too, right? So there's a small crossover, at yes. least one. We are still in regular contact. I think he has like some big stuff planned uh, for the future. I don't know if I can talk about it, but uh, <laughs> he's been also one of the people who definitely has influenced us with what he does and how he approaches things when it comes to music. Yeah, we are very glad to have, have um, been able to work with him in the past and uh, we will definitely be working with him in the future. We are already. Yeah. <laughs> so when you opened the store in 2013, thinking back, that that was probably quite a good time to open a record store because that was when we were all sort of in this moment of vinyl is back and everybody's buying vinyl again. And, you know, everybody kind of wanted record shops to be back. I think it was a uh, record store day was happening and all of these things. I, w I wonder if any of that has changed at all. And if you feel that any of your businesses is changing as people perhaps use Bandcamp more or do you think there's still a healthy market for people coming into a record shop to buy what you have? Yeah, I mean, it's ups and downs, obviously, but that's the case since the beginning. I mean, we have four people helping us at the shop now. And if you talk to them, they uh, it's it's basically it's constant for us. I mean, it's, we maybe be we, we we change the way we buy 
third label releases, not our own, but um, when we buy from distributions, etc. That definitely has changed since the beginning. So we try to avoid um, building a huge stock and rather buy small batches more frequently to quickly sell them again. But in general, I think it's... Yeah, it's pretty consistent. I'd say, at least that's my feeling, that it's even more consistent locally because there you have the aspect of going to a record shop and I think people just like doing that. And um, it's, it's very constant in that sense, even though like the people who come have changed over the course of the last years. Like it's not like, I mean, we have some customers that have been there since day one, but there's also a lot of fluctuation, kind of uh, people moving or it's it's like nightlife generations, nightlife generations kind of uh, um, change. Um, but that's, but that's been like a constant, I think online, I'd say, you could say that there is, with the arrival of platforms like Bandcamp, which is a fantastic platform and I I'm absolutely um, uh, love it and it's great for our label. But uh, it, I think the competition online is very hard. Um, uh, also with other like big um, online platforms um, that sell records in large quantities, um, uh, it's it's not even not 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 um, always easy to compete with them. But there is uh, like that's where Valentino, what Valentino said um, comes in again. We always kind of try to um, kind of select very carefully what we offer, and um, it's always been key for us to kind of support and be supported by small labels that um, maybe uh, ideally people um, discover through our shop. And, and that's, that's always been working for us. And that's also why it's so important to have like other people helping us at the shop now, because they um, maybe have a little bit more time to kind of dig deep uh, into what's new and interesting. And they all have different tastes. They too. all have different tastes and it, it really makes up to, to makes up the shop um, uh, what it is that we have like uh, many influences and uh, constant new input when it comes to uh, what we offer. And I think that's the only way how, how a small record shop like we um, can survive. I think if you try to go for um, uh, offering uh, what everyone else offers and um, offering like a broad, a really broad selection, uh, then uh, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be very difficult really soon for, for, uh, for a shop like, like us. Yeah, and we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. Yeah, too. and we, we, we noticed that ourselves <laughs> at the beginning that we were like really ambitious and we kind of like made huge, uh, huge orders and uh, had like a lot of backstock and, uh, and just pretty soon noticed that it's not the way um, it's, it's, it's got to be done. And uh, we had to really kind of reevaluate what we want to do. And since then, it's, it's, been, it's been always um, going, going good and we're still there. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's good for a record shop, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I think even just still existing is pretty, <laughs> pretty impressive. Um, what, what else does the store have in it other than records? I assume there are some other things. The, the merchandise is becoming a big factor for us. And, and again, like we, we, we kind of tried to do it properly. Like when we did a, the, our first T-shirt, we kind of, it, it was very well received. And we soon noticed that we, if we want to do it, we do it properly. So we want to have like the fit um, has to be perfect and the material. and Our own product. And, 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 and it has to be our own product. So we have like um, 
we get everything produced for us now in Portugal. And it's been very, very helpful, actually, to support the vinyl sales. So that's that's kind of been a big issue for the shop. And then we, we always try to offer some print, which is maybe even Hard. more difficult than selling vinyl, <laughs> selling books and magazines. Um, uh, but uh, it's it's kind of like what what we are into. So we we at least try to have a small selection. There is not much space for displaying the products properly, so we have to select very carefully. <laughs> everything. So yeah, yeah, it's just twenty square meters. So it's a very small shop, and um, I mean, we we kind of I, I I actually would like to 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 do more in there or to offer more products, but it's also like an issue of time and and again um, maybe trying to focus on on uh, in the general things, the things that are <laughs> that people uh, uh, visit the shop for. You published a book of all of your flyers a while ago. Uh, which I, I kind of got the impression that there might be another book of, of one of those one day. But um, I, I wasn't quite sure if the flyers were designed by you two or if they were other people who had designed them and you'd collected them. Are uh, they your designs? It's all us. Yeah. Really? All, 100%. Is that something that you both have previous training in? Nope. <laughs> no. No. Well, well, I mean, we, as Marvin said, we had this residency at the club in the very beginning. Yeah. That was maybe 12 years ago or 11. And we pretty soon started uh, designing our own flyers for that night a week. We kind of grew, grew into it. And he, he studied at the Art Academy. Um, okay, there had, we go. <laughs> internships with the graphic designers and stuff like but that. But I was only allowed to do the... The, the raw, the raw, raw tasks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was not allowed to do uh, detailed... Um, so, yeah, I think you can see it in our work that it's often very, very quickly. And we, we had, we had like, I think since a year ago, we had our first intern here and he was like, he came in mainly as a graphic designer. He's called John. And he changed uh, everything. Uh, and he, he's still here now. Um, uh, and uh, he actually, I mean, in the end, he kind of um, taught us things rather than the opposite way around um so that's been very helpful but uh, yeah uh, it's a kind of a do-it-yourself approach i'd say but the book was something we really enjoyed doing and it's we plan on doing more stuff like that i mean we did another book on on, on sleep on the topic of sleep it's like a small pocket-sized book which is like a call and response approach where we exchange the graphic and text material and collaged it together and Why would you choose the topic of sleep? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was at a time where we traveled a lot and were lacking sleep. And um, uh, Valentino had, I think maybe at that time, the second child already. Or Yeah, it was. So, yeah, sleep was definitely a topic which was like a, a, yeah, a constant um, issue in our lives. So, And then in the end, it was just uh, we... we like as I said, like the, the the basis for the book was like this call and response idea, where where we kind of like select materials and send them to each other or pass them to each other, and then the other one reacts um, with something else. And we, we kind of felt that it would be nice to do something or to do it on a topic that we weren't really preoccupied with, other than being sleeping organisms at some points. 
So <laughs> it was like it would have been boring to do it about music or something like that because then we would have uh, it would would have been clear what we, what what material we chose. Um, so I, 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 I we make sure to send you the books. Yeah. Thanks. I think DJs are actually experts on sleep, so I think you've chosen a specialist topic there, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's something for everybody. I'm and it saying. helps, like you, you read two pages and you fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to do some quick fire questions. Here's the first one. Would you rather be out late or up early? Yeah, safe, up early. I agree. Wow. <laughs> Retired, retired DJs. Already. <laughs> Only play after hours nowadays. <laughs> yeah, so you can just get up early and go straight there. <laughs> okay, would you rather be in the city or the country? City. Both. <laughs> if public possession was an item on a menu, what would it be? Pasta. Plain? Yeah, oh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, to choose the pasta sauce is difficult. It's a challenge. Maybe a Napoli, just a plain tomato sauce. I would go for red wine. <laughs> they go together. That's perfect. <laughs> what was the last book that either of you read? I'm right now, I'm reading a really, really nice um, um, criminal story by Colin Dexter. And the detective is called Inspector Morris. <laughs> and it's taking place in Oxford. And I can, I can highly recommend it. He's uh, basically, he spends more time in the pub than in his, uh, how do you say, inspection? <laughs> On his uh, mission. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we both read many things at the same time. I read again at the moment. Um, Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> Comics. Um, the medium is the message. Good choice. Do you read, read a lot of uh, kind of theoretical things well, alongside fiction? The, one has to be the sophisticated and the other one. Exactly. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone's reading Inspector Morse and someone's reading some 60s <laughs> philosophy. Great. Okay. And obviously the final question then has to be, what was the last record that either of you bought? I bought a Chopin Nocturnes by Maurizio Pollini. <laughs> also, I feel like Inspector Morse would enjoy that. He likes classical music, right? I'm pretty sure he would enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I'd have to inspect my discogs. Actually, I, I don't. I don't know. It's, it was a house record produced by uh, um, Glenn Underground. I don't. I don't know the exact title, um, but it's very nice. And uh, obviously, like a lot of stuff gets just just picked up at the shop every every now and then. Like when there's new 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 music coming in, we we inspect and take what we need. <laughs> okay, good. Now, on top of all of this. You have either run in the past or still offer a catering service, but I'm not entirely sure how serious this is. You have done it, right? You have operated a catering service. Officially, you can. We, we have. There's proof of it. <laughs> but does it still happen? Occasionally, yes. I think. Uh, are, you, are you qualified for this? Are you both chefs? No, he's more the chef. I'm more the. Again, I'm more done for the raw stuff. I'm more. <laughs> Um, I did. I did work in in a kitchen a couple of months. Yes, and um, uh, but I, I wouldn't call myself a chef, not at all. But I think it, it kind of evolved out of a joke 
that we kind of said that providing some beverages at the shop is kind of the catering of public possession. And then <laughs> some people kind of actually... Uh, yeah, we set up a homepage for it. Yeah, and some people actually, like, uh, re- then at, w- at one point, like, uh, somebody called us on it and um, we, we, we thought about it a minute. Can we pull it off? And then we did. And it was like a, it was like a shop opening of a brand. We DJed there and we, we cooked in advance the food and uh, it was served by by friends of us and it was actually a really nice happening and we did it one or two other times after that um, but it's not necessarily like a, a main focus on, on, the, on our on our daily business but we are here like uh, whoever wants to be um, uh, whoever wants us to cook for, for them we, we are we are happy to, to discuss did you see that we just uh, relaunched the catering website no well, I've seen it, but I didn't know if, that it was uh, the new one then. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, you should uh, have a look. It's... C- consider yeah. this an advertisement. Anyone who listens should go yeah, and check yeah. out. It's not, not bad, actually. Like if, you, if you're seeking uh, um, leisure time advice, it's, it's definitely a place to visit. What kind of thing did you cook? Back then, it was um, uh, it was actually sandwiches um, uh, with like one was with cheese and a homemade chutney, and the other one was like with a flaifpflanzel, which is <laughs> which is like the equivalent of a burger, but, but a Bavarian oh, yeah. burger kind of thing. I'd say, yeah, yeah, it was it was nice. I, I don't want to compare burgers to flaifpflanzel, not. <laughs> but I think everyone gets the idea. Tell me a little bit about how your own taste and maybe how Munich's music scene has changed since you started public possession has has the city changed very much and has your own kind of idea of of the music that you're into changed a lot well for us personally i think it's still the interests are still the same like when you talk about how broad they are but for the city itself I don't know. It's, I think through the introduction of Blitz, yeah, it's uh, it has definitely um, there was a shift towards techno. It's like, always related to the to the like, places. Yeah, I think. I think so too. I think you can like what you, there's like a place for every kind of musical genre you uh, you uh, within Munich um, that you just have to know where to go. Um, but I'd say like this feels very far away now because it's like uh, there's like no nightlife at all like since a month now and it just it doesn't really feel like uh, present anymore. But uh, when when there was still stuff going on, it felt like techno was becoming bigger in Munich. And I think if you want to talk about the scene and how it has changed in Munich, I think one very important factor is the radio uh, radio ATK um, that got introduced to us uh, through the shop once again, and um, uh, that we kind of. Kind of at the beginning when they were streaming from homes, and then we we got lucky, and with a friend who who runs um, quite a few um, uh, here in Munich, um, we we had the chance to um, help them find a find a permanent place, um, and since then it grew uh, to be like the the spot for exchange for people who are into music here in the city, and and their studio is always like a meeting point, and you always find new new DJs or new music interests of people and and so yeah that's that's like i think that's a big change because that hasn't happened that hasn't it wasn't just wasn't there before it was there was radio stations but they were mainly 
run by um, uh, by the city or just like funded by the by the state and this is like comp entirely independent they do whatever they want to do and um, it's it's been it's been really refreshing and they have a really nice program so it's not it's nice to to listen to it it was a time when we didn't know it was not sure how the shop is able to continue because the landlord was uh, we had a five year contract and it wasn't clear how expensive it's going to be for the next episode so we thought of the radio also as a physical space again like an extension of the of the record shop basically mm -hmm. but then we were lucky to renew our contract at the shop on a on a decent basis yeah. And yeah, and they, they have been doing a great job since then. Yeah, I was checking out the SoundCloud for Radio ATK and it looks really good. It, it reminds me of lots of other local online radio stations in various cities around the world, which I think they do something to kind of define what that local community is. And they give a little space for people who maybe maybe don't really have much experience at all, but have great taste in music. And yeah, lots of lots of cities have their own equivalent. It seems to be a really important factor in the health of the local seed now yeah absolutely um there's a curious page on your website called wow world of wisdom and there is a box where anyone can leave a message but there's not really any instruction about either what the message should be Have you or, left or what you're no i haven't yet because i didn't I, i will but you, there's no instruction about either what kind of message you want or of course what you're doing with all of the messages what are you doing with all of these messages there's instruction about that there you if you if you read the agbs then you will find um uh, like it says that we want to do a publication with those messages uh, that's that's like an idea that evolved uh, in, in actually in the in the first couple of weeks of corona where we kind of like uh Uh, questioned a lot of, of the activities we were doing or like we, we kind of needed a new outlet uh, and a new um, way of communicating and the plan is that we collect all these messages we archive them and then we make a publication out of them and hopefully that publication is going to sell some copies and then we can use that money to donate it for good causes or to do something nice with it The reason why we don't give any instructions uh, what what kind of message we want to receive is that we kind of don't want um, people to be limited limited at all with like what they send us and also uh, we we will not we won't credit like the people who send us the messages ah um, okay. not because we don't think uh, credit should be there where it's due but because uh, again I think. Um, perception is different uh, the perception uh, is very differently if you don't attach it to a person so uh, we just want to have like a very plain white paper with uh, thoughts and ideas from ho hopefully like all across the world and uh, uh, we, we were very skeptical at the beginning whether this is uh, this is actually going to work or whether we will actually receive messages because obviously there's like no real um, catch for doing it but uh, it's been very interesting it's, it's, and it's like all over the place like it's from like just small aphorisms to like really long uh, texts about very private stuff people send us and, and it's like it's 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 very diverse and interesting project were you saying that the reason that you came up with it was as a kind of response to coronavirus in a sense or a response to the the this strange pause that has been put on everything or was it an idea that you'd had before that 
Mm, no, it was not an idea we had before. It was uh, maybe it was also a response to the time one had uh, suddenly, like um, uh, because now uh, we are almost back to our daily uh, routines. You you don't get a lot of time or not enough time sometimes to think about things in general. Um, you just do your tasks and try to cope. <laughs> Um, and yeah, especially at the beginning of coronavirus, everyone was in home office and, um, and, uh, yeah, we had just time to, to evaluate some, some, uh, maybe some wishes for what we want to do with public possession. And, and this is only one, one of many things that kind of, uh, came out of that and some things we don't, we haven't even started yet. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a response to the coronavirus, but I don't think it's uh, necessarily attached to it. I think we want to do it uh, as long as possible. And uh, this, the website states also that once we have gathered enough messages to uh, receive more messages and uh, and to maybe do a second issue. I mean, this is very hypothetical now, but ideally it's going to work work out that way. Right. I mean, it's interesting that amid the obvious devastation of coronavirus, for most people, it's had this very strange effect where we're on a kind of pause or a slowdown. And it has opened up a lot of space in our lives for reflection on what we're doing. And I think especially in the music industry and especially with dance music and everything to do with events and none of that can happen. And um, it does seem to open up a lot of space for thinking about what it's all for and what we're doing with our time. Can you tell me anything about thoughts that you might have had about this topic recently or any particular feelings that you have about what you would like the kind of music industry or, or even this particular kind of underground music community to be like or to strive for after coronavirus? If there is an after, there might not be an after, but you know, in the future. <laughs> I mean, we hope there is an after and yeah. it's very difficult to talk as a placeholder for an industry or for other people in general, sure. I only say what I think we we kind of feel um, has, or we can only like share some thoughts about um, uh, what we talk here about public possession. And it was not only like since coronavirus that it's actually um, it's been going on for a while because obviously we noticed that the brand is growing, uh, even though it's as you mentioned at the beginning, it's still small in comparison to a lot of other labels and um, uh, but we we kind of see a responsibility in working uh, um, uh, with the privilege we have uh, and to be able to do this and and obviously also in being a creator uh, of things like being a producer like you always have to consider like can we do less or what should we do you know like uh, does it does it all make sense but then uh, in the end it's it's we feel like the output we we have is still reasonable and and if we kind of try and um for example like when we talk about making donations it's like a way of redirecting resources we have um and we are privileged to have to uh, people who who don't have them and i think uh, maybe that's like a nice thing that happens at the moment in general is that a lot of people think about how they should uh, interact uh, and how they should make decisions based on us being part of a whole and being responsible for a community and ideally um i'd say a lot of good things are coming out of movements um that have evolved lately 
like Black Lives Matter or the climate change situation. And I think we definitely want to be part of it. And it, it's always like, uh, it's not like we are not nowhere near where we maybe want to be or where we can be, but it's it's a constant process and we, we, we discuss uh, what we can do. And I think a lot of other people do the same. So uh, I, I feel like maybe it's a good good turning point for a few things that have gone wrong for a long time hopefully like i don't i don't know i don't i can't see in, in the future uh, we just we just try to to th to to constantly remind us of these things right and i think with music especially and dance music especially although it can be a very spiky territory to kind of go into a lot of these issues of privilege and especially with Black Lives Matter movement and the way that that's kind of ricocheting through the music industry. I think in many ways, music and dance music is really well placed to have that conversation because the issues are so particular to music. You know, it's such a different type of way of engaging with history, privilege, racism, that I, I almost feel as though as a kind of community, we can actually do a lot more than a lot of other sectors might be able to do because the level of conversation, I think, is is quite different. And I think with climate issues, that might also be true as well. Is that something that you have kind of thought about in particular over recent years, the kind of climate crisis issue and how to be a green <laughs> label in any way? Yes, certainly. As I said, like everyone produces, so like everyone on this planet is is, is like somebody is, like, is producing waste in the end, um, if you want to call it like that. And there is like this this idea of leaving uh, uh, no trace is very is like I think undoable. Uh, and um, uh, if if we want to continue to do what we do, we we will um, certainly be uh, keep being producers of goods i think it's more the approach of how you produce them uh, um, than maybe just um, uh, trying not to do them so we always try to be thoughtful about um, the issue of uh, is it necessary to do that now and how much of it has to be done and it's also like a medium for for something we really believe in so i think it has a right to exist it's a very difficult issue i don't it's It's hard to 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 generalize now, or even to kind of make our personal or our brand's position clear. Other than that, we always um, try to be thoughtful when interacting with nature or other people. And I think if that's like your premise for doing things, then you are on the right way. And I think a lot of the times you have to remind yourself about this premise. And again, talking about privilege and how nice it is to be in a city like Munich and to be able to do what we want to do. And these things, um, you sh one shouldn't feel guilty about them, but one has to be kind of aware of the fact that there is a lot of other people who, who don't have the same foundation as we have. And I think... Also during the time of coronavirus, that became very evident socially, economically, that uh, the people who had problems before, their problems grew bigger. And the people who didn't, they, they, were, they took it as a timeout, you know. So, I mean, we are in, in a process of thought. So I don't, I don't have answers. Maybe we never will have, but uh, we, we try to, to do our, the stuff we do accordingly and, and consider our impact on everyone and everything we interact with constantly. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you for being on Relevant Parties.
Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Relevant Parties from Carhartt Work in Progress. If you want to dive into more music from the labels in this series, check out the Relevant Parties playlist on Spotify. You can find the link in the show notes. And remember, you can subscribe to Relevant Parties so that you never miss an episode. It's available wherever good podcasts are found. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts. We'd really love to know what you think. So thanks for listening and join me next time for more stories behind the world's best record labels. 